Obviously, a lot has happened in the world since we last recorded. We apologize for the lack of an episode last week. When we discussed the idea of recording, not one of us could imagine actually talking about baseball like it mattered. Frankly, it's still impossible to think of it as important given all that's going on. The senseless murder of George Floyd and all the old wounds that it has reopened across the country demand our attention if we are ever going to get past the racial injustices and divisions that have been a hallmark of American history since the very beginning. Hopefully this will serve as a belated wake-up call to everyone that these issues cannot be ignored or swept under the rug as they have been for so long. Without justice, there can be no peace. This is episode 141 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined this week by Ryan Top, Paul Noonan, and Brad Ford. And we are sponsored this week by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know their great beers like their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side. You can also get a discount on some Carbon 4 merch just by listening to our podcast. Just go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods. Our patrons also get question priority here on the program, and you get a personal shout out when you do become a patron. So we were off for about a week, and in that time, uh, just more quabbling, I guess, is the best word between the Players Union and the league. Uh, the NBA announced it's coming back at the end of July, but things are not looking as good for baseball. Uh, we're pretty much destined at this point to miss that 4th of July deadline that they were hoping for. Now it's kind of devolving into into more arguments bef- between the two sides. It's believed that the commissioner has the power to sort of unilaterally set a schedule with as few as 48 or 50 games uh, if worse comes to worse. Kind of reading between the lines over the last few weeks, the owners want fewer games because uh, they want to get to the postseason as quick as possible. They don't want to be playing past October. Uh, they also want expanded playoffs, but the players have to sign off on that. And they're only going to willing, only willing to do that if they get their full prorated pay. Uh, so that's kind of been the sticking point over the last couple of weeks here. The owners, I guess, will jump in with the owner's latest proposal. Now the idea is a 76-game season paying the players between 50 and 75% of their prorated salaries, depending on whether or not a postseason is finished. Uh, they'd also dra- uh, drop the draft pick compensation, forgive 20% of the money advanced in March. And also, just a little sidebar, the players would also basically have to sign a waiver for their health, saying you are assuming all <laughs> risk when you step on the field. So basically, there's a lot to kind of go through here and... Paul, you've kind of been our expert on these negotiations. (laughs) Do you want to just kind of put in layman's terms here exactly what the owners are proposing and why it's not all that different from what they've been saying all along? Sure. Uh, And I would recommend everybody follow uh, Eugene Friedman on Twitter and also listen to the last Effectively Wild where he was on, who is um, a labor attorney who has handled big public negotiations for a lot of unions. And... The, the thing the recent proposals all do is split the same amount of money that's going to the players just in different um, size chunks. So um, they're all about just switching things around, um, whether it's more games or fewer games. But fundamentally, the players would not financial situation would not change. And um, because of that, it, it's really just jerking them around. And, and the, the one thing that's very clear 
especially from listening to Friedman, is that they understand this. Um, just to sum up um, some of what he's written lately, and I've um, not, like I participated in, in labor stuff once in a while, but I'm not like a labor lawyer. Um, those March meetings um, dealt with compensation, which is a mandatory bargaining subject. And once everybody signed off on that, um, they closed that subject and they cannot be, it can't be reopened without consent of both sides. That's why the players have been so unwilling to counter on compensation because it opens actually a whole can of worms as to what they might have to give um, in addition to that. So um, all of MLB has been trying to be cute about this, frankly. And I think it's pretty clear at this point that they, they really don't want to play. Um, they definitely want to play as few games as possible if, if they're going to have to pay the, the current agreed upon rates of pro rate of salary. And that, if the players don't budge at all, that's what it's going to be. So um, the, the other thing about that, if you listen to Friedman, is the commissioner has the right to implement a schedule um, as long as he does it under that pay. So because the owners, let, you know, according to them anyway, let's just assume that they're telling the truth. They're not. But let's assume that they're going to act like they're telling the truth, uh, that they're going to take a bath on, on a per-game basis. They want to limit the number of games that they will play. Um, and uh, the other thing, important note, is the playoffs are still at issue. So um, the math for the, the owners is get to the playoffs with as few games as possible because we get more of that money. The math for the players is very simple. Um, get paid as much as you can on pro rate of salary, be that extra playoff money or uh, playing more games at the the salary that's been agreed to, and that's where the division currently lies. If anybody gives, it opens up more negotiating, and so that's why people are unlikely to give. And so you might see the implementation of a very short season. That's probably the most likely scenario at this point where we get baseball back, but it's not looking good. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand, too, the reason that the postseason is such a bonanza for the owners and why they want to get there and expand it as much as possible is because they don't pay the players their per game salary. The players get paid for the regular season. Their postseason money comes out of a pool that is agreed upon by the uh, union and MLB. And MLB is agreeing to sort of provisionally expand that pool that is part of this deal. But really what they want to do is make it as big a postseason as possible, as long as possible, and as few regular season games as possible. And yep. it's pretty transparent that that's the case. And they realized, I mean, when when they came out and shot down the players unions, which, and it was a non-starter, the 114 game season proposal last week, Yep. when they shot yeah. that down, they sort of made it very clear and this is one of those cases where I think most your your general fan, your your general fan out there wants as long a season as possible for baseball, like as many games as possible, because that's what brings legitimacy to a season is the long season. And right. the owners are on the wrong side of this one. Like they are definitely on the wrong side of public opinion in terms of wanting a shorter season and the players arguing for a longer one. So the players do get some just like positional leverage on that. But it's still difficult. I was very disappointed to see a, a number of national writers opinions on this on Monday afternoon that they really just bought the owner's line that this was a major step forward hook, line and sinker and really didn't acknowledge the fact that this was repackaging the same old offers that the owners have put forward. And this was not progress in any meaningful way. And in fact, it really was a step backwards in terms of the uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk to. More in just a minute, the uh, the idea of the player signing this acknowledgement of risk waiver. 
Like, yeah, that uh, was new, and that was definitely not well received. No, and nor should it be. They're asking them to step back onto the field um, under conditions they don't want to step back on, on the field too, with less pay. And now you're going to put all the risk on them as well. Like that, it's just ridiculous. Um, and uh, by the way, if you do want to see, if you want to find Eugene Friedman on Twitter, um, he he was most recently yelling at Buster only for being just a complete shill <laughs> for the owners. So didn't he um, call him Union Buster? Yes, he did. Or he he, called he, said, call, Buster. he said we should call you Union Buster only, which is fantastic. So if you're not already blocked by Buster, it's easy to find him that way. Um, I, of course, am blocked by Buster, like all good people. I'm not blocked by Buster. Does that mean I'm a bad I'm, I'm person? Paul? I'm blocked by Jimmy Nelson, but not Buster yet. We'll see. I, I don't. I, I never know who I'm blocked by. I look up a name, and all of a sudden I'm blocked by them, and I don't know why it happens. And we'll we'll find out. Uh, maybe I am blocked by Buster. Buster was actually the first person ever to block me on Twitter. So that's a um, milestone. Yeah. So, Brad, I, I, guess, I guess, are we less hopeful than we've ever been, I guess, seeing baseball? Or what do you feel? I mean, I think based on what we discussed, there's absolutely reason to be less hopeful. Um, because, again, if they're just going to submit these proposals that seem more like a practical joke than something <laughs> that is actually moving progress forward... Like, like that's all we're doing is we're just submitting like the same contract, but we're I, like, I but think, this time it has this slightly different proposal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's important to, to realize just how disingenuous the owners are being with their proposals. Every every time that they propose a lengthened season, they cut the player's salary so that it equals whatever they were going to pay in the fifty game season. Or the, right. it actually, and we shouldn't say fifty; it's forty eight is the most recent consensus lowest they'll go. So what the owners have done here is figured out what 48 games will cost at a prorated salary. And whenever they make a proposal longer than that, it just is that salary. Plus, you're playing more games. You slide the percentages, yeah. Yes, that's it. So that's just very dirty. It's not real bargaining. It's not good faith bargaining. They're they're being um, just jackasses. Well, they're counting on people not to do the math, right? Like somebody sit down and just like figure out the basic math, which people have done all over Twitter. This Mike uh, access a tweet where he talked about the fact that basically the 82 games at a sliding scale was about 33% of their salary. The 50 games of prorated pay would be 33% of their salary. And 76 games at 75% prorated pay is about 33% of the salary. Like, so right. It just works They've out the same way. Determined. <laughs> They've clearly determined what they're willing to pay, right? And now they're so, kind of just are, are they just kind of like killing time at this point, so they well, have to play the forty-eight? Or I, what, what I just thought? saw this tweet uh, from Marley Rivera. MLB called the proposal to the MLBPA their best offer in order to stage a seventy-six game season in twenty twenty, and stated they would give players forty-eight hours to reach an agreement. Oh boy! Oh, they put them on a clock. Oh boy! Yeah, so yeah, now we're reaching always. ultimatum. <laughs> like, <laughs> so again, you're putting the players squarely in the in the light of being the bad guys when they inevitably turn it down, right? Like, well, and the important part there, Brad, you did say that this is our last best offer for a 76 game season, not for a right, season. It's specific, right? Yeah. Right. It's so a specific in that length. They're they're holding that 48 in their pocket the thing is mlb the players union does have to agree to an expanded playoff so if the owners want to get that they that's part of why they have to do a deal here because yes they could unilaterally impose this but they don't want to because then they can't have their expanded playoff so right right yeah and the thing with the 50 games is like it's it's just so random like i You've seen it a couple of times, but pointing out that the Nationals won the World Series last year. They started 19 and 31, 
think it was actually the Brewers <laughs> that kind of knocked them down to that that low mark, and they were just above the Marlins. It's like the second worst team in the National League after 50 right. games. It's, and it's 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 old now, but I, I, one of the first ever pieces I ever read at Baseball Prospectus was by Randy Jazerly, who was trying to figure out when like when your record stabilizes going forward is being more predictive than preseason projections or just randomness. And I think it was like 42 games, which is, you know, barely this. So right. um, if they play anything under 50 game season, it's just pure randomness. And, you know, it's only slightly less pure randomness incrementally after that. So, um, yeah, any, anybody could win if they play a 50 game season. <laughs> well, I even think about like statistically, you when you look at a player season, you call almost anything under 40 games, small sample size. Right. So yeah. you're going to be looking at some really weird batting lines, like a 480 hitter. <laughs> like, I mean, we've had insane batting lines go through the first two months. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the question, had... will, we ever, will we ever have a 400 hitter again? And I remember, I think it was Sam Miller wrote, like, no, it can't happen. Ah, didn't think about the 48-game season. <laughs> Orlando Arsteel over 48 games going to hit 400. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the old saying goes like you don't look at standings until Memorial Day, right? Because you need two months worth of games <laughs> for things to really kind of stabilize. But yeah. does that would it bother you? I mean, to be able to see baseball, to have baseball back, would you just say, OK, this is going to be a weird season. So what? Oh, so I, I just accept it. I, I mean, I personally wouldn't care at all. Um, you're going to have traditionalist people who, you know, say whoever wins the World Series isn't a real champion and blah, blah, blah. That's that's fine. I just find that more fun. I'm, I'm okay with that. So if it gets baseball back and uh, it's a weird, you know, tournament season, that's fine. Whatever. Who cares? Um, I'm on board with that. But I mean, there'll be to a ton of whining about it. So I'm also fine with that, though. I like whining. I mean, there's <laughs> whining about how the Brewers got in the wild card last year. And because they didn't advance past the one game play and they aren't truly uh, that's not truly a playoff year. <laughs> So imagine reducing that down to 50 games. And then if they expand the playoffs on top of that, like we're, we're nothing, getting into all here. the doors are open. Wild yeah. card for Milwaukee Brewers. Let's yep. go. Nothing baseball fans like more than parsing semantics about things. That's why we still yes. talk about what valuable means in MVP. Oh, duh. I miss those discussions. Uh, Listen, so if he didn't take them to the postseason, he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, Matt Kemp. So we kind of have a we have a Patreon question sort of related to this. Jay Google asking, is a 50 game season really worth having a season at all? Or are they better off just trying to do some sort of gimmick tournament? I guess, Ryan, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think both a 50 game season that then like the latest thing I saw was like a 16 team postseason. So you're getting more than half the teams in. That's gimmicky for sure. Yep. And totally. like do both of those together as a way to have baseball, the game played by the best players in the world um, in some sort of a meaningful context that can give us something to do and be positive in these awful, terrible times. Hell yeah. Sign me up. Like I'm, I'm all about that. It, I don't need the integrity of like a, a full season to find enjoyment in the game itself in watching baseball, in watching Christian Yelich hit, in seeing Josh Hader strike people out. Like, that's all its own joy, regardless of the context. Is it weird? Yes. But does it ruin it? No. Hell yeah, just bring it on. I think the key here is to have 16 teams so you can have brackets. Um, that, that, uh, that would make everybody, um, if not happy, gamble happy, which is also a good thing. So... <laughs> 
And they should do that. I mean, as, if you're in this situation, you should have as much fun with it as you possibly can. So, um, yeah, and anything along those lines is great. And I do think you want something where you can have a nice NCAA tournament bracket, put some money down, have circulating your virtual office, and uh, go from there. It would even be nice if they just did like a kind of round robin type season where in the similar way that the world baseball classic is played, right? Where you just like cool earn play. points and then advance yeah. to like the bracket. And then like, as you win bracket, you're either eliminated or you're not. Um, but That's also like watching some of these organizations that have already tried some gimmicks to, especially when you get on the extreme side of gimmick, um, when you watch those, it gets you realize like how little attention they've drawn and how interesting they've been. A bad example of that, but just the only one that I can think of off the top of my mind is uh, NBA horse games uh, <laughs> that like no one even thought about for a second. Uh, but I think like even when you're looking at things that are still being performed without audiences, even that's taking something away from it. So when you make it a little less inauthentic compared to what it actually is i think that leads to less viewership because they feel like they're not watching the true product anyways um by gimmick tournament we just mean like round robin play and then bracket playoff i think everyone would be fine with that because yeah. it then it's just like okay let's lean into this unique season and do something that we already know how to do in two months anyway yeah i mean i was down with those weird ass Arizona divisions that were we we were talking about a month ago. You I know, want the Arizona like divisions the, back. Yeah, I want yeah. Bring, it, bring on the Tigers and Royals. That's all I want to see. Instead, uh, we get the Twins, the Indians, the <laughs> Braves yeah. for some reason. I think the one thing right. we have to accept that by its very nature, any baseball postseason that you can concoct is not going to determine who the best team is. The best means sure. we have to con to figure out who the best team is over is over the long season. But we put the postseason on the end of that because we like to have the tournament and we like to have all that additional excitement or whatever. But by its very nature, baseball tournaments are just going to be very random because of the nature of the game of baseball. So, you know, once you get past that and just acknowledge that, then, yeah, just enjoy it for what it is. But it's fun. It's what it's supposed to be. So let's say something stupid happens and the Brewers end up winning some sort of expanded playoff. Do you consider that their first World Series title? Hells to the yeah. Not only do I consider it their first World Series title, I consider it superior to all other World Series titles won conventionally. <laughs> um, I, I would, if it were won by any other team, I would definitely do like the smack talking of that isn't real. But if it were won by the Brewers, I would hold it up as the, the greatest accomplishment in sports history. So yeah. there, there, I admit right now that there would be complete or well be complete hypocrisy in my answer pending who wins. <laughs> Sorry, Chicago, yours doesn't count, Milwaukee. Does. What we want Chicago to win again and cause another slide into hell? Yeah, I mean, the, we've, we've talked actually, about that. <laughs> it is a, so not that the Brewers have a great history of championships because they don't, but it is kind of a shame that the Cubs won one because it would be nice if their only one was super fake uh, for 106 <laughs> years. Um, and now, the, oh. now we've lost we've lost something real by not having that as a potential. Ah. Uh damn yeah that that would have been just great just hearing all the cubs fans who come to like miller park be like well we want a world series and we're like but not the real world series <laughs> kind of. right <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh i'm uh, now i'm bummed that we missed on that yeah right uh this world well, is dumb. there's such yeah. a better one out there yeah well speaking of things that would bum us out i think we're all on 
operating under the assumption that we'll see at least 48, 50 games or whatever it is uh, through the commissioner's order. But, you know, the commissioner does work for the owners. And if the owners decide we're not paying anybody, we're not playing any games, uh, how much damage do you think would be done if there's just no baseball this year? You go 18 months without it, and then you head into next year with more CBA troubles. Like, is that the doomsday scenario right now? I mean, if the NBA and uh, NFL are able to play and the baseball is not able to get its act together, it's going to be incalculable damage. I mean, they are they are torpedoing their franchise values in ways I don't think they fully even realize. Yeah, I think they totally think it'll okay. bounce back in a way that I don't think they're correct about. Yeah, I know, Paul, you've said like people will still watch baseball. It's not like the death of the league or anything, but it would be a terrible, terrible PR move, right? Yes, absolutely. It, it, uh, they are so bad at thinking long term. They really are. Um, and it, it, it's bad PR. And I, so I don't think like strikes are bad, but people, you know, I see people like, oh, I'm never coming back. Baseball's over for me, blah, blah, blah. People always do come back. I think it's worse if you start um, a strike slash lockout during a global pandemic and then <laughs> yeah and then like leverage that into labor strife and like that's really bad they are i think actually going to take a pretty big hit on that um it, it's it, it's easy to lose interest on something over a two-year period and um people right. will find other things to fill a, a baseball void in that time especially with other sports going in rogue weird seasons like right that is just going to be a problem for them. And normally maybe just the void of having nothing would save them, but the NBA is going to be on a weird schedule. The like oh, hockey is going to be on a weird schedule if anybody cares. Um, but like, there's lots to take its place. They're going to have some problems. This will this is very penny wise, pound foolish, and they should really figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. I mean like bas- basketball specifically, the NBA will come back at the end of July. Their uh, playoffs will run. What is it through? Is it, August? I, I forget what it is, but they're basically going to be around the clock. They're basically taking a very short time off before starting their next season again in December. So they're basically going to be playing through June <laughs> next year again. So it's it it's they're going to be front of mind. And if baseball is not playing, obviously, you kind of forget about that. And, yep. and they're going to fall further back in this kind of national uh, view and it just kind of is another thing of baseball making life harder for itself than it has to be. I almost wish that they would just realize at this point, screw the season, let's just get the CBA out of the way so we don't have to deal with this next year too. Like put all your power of the next eight months into getting that done. Although based on the current relationship i'm not even sure eight months would be enough time for them to get it done if that's all they spent their focus doing um but i i say that with some hyperbole but at the same time there's definitely truth to that like i'd rather have the guarantee that the cba gets done and i for sure have baseball in 2021 2022 than get a 50 game season this year yeah and there's just not trust on the players side and why should they trust the owners? Cause the owners, every time they open their mouth about what kind of money they supposedly make that, you know, a fib comes out. So like, or at least creative accounting, if not an outright lie. 
Right. And it's not like the current heads of those conversations have in the last, what has it been, four or five years now, have earned any trust. No, no, they haven't. Certainly not. The owners have done absolutely nothing to make themselves look better, trustworthy, like good negotiators. If anything, they're torpedoing their credibility further in these negotiations. Everything that's happened so far now, and I think this was a Patreon question a while back, um, everything that's happened now makes baseball less likely next year. If they don't settle, even if they do settle it, I think some damage has been done. Um, I mean, at this point, they're looking at implementation by the commissioner. That's never good. And it, it's it's just bad for next year that they couldn't get something like worked out with a little give and take this year. Um, it, it, and it's, it's a risky spot. It's not looking good for for 2021. No, absolutely not. That kind of leads us to our next Patreon question. It's actually more of a statement. It's from Jason Donlinger. He just says, I badly miss baseball. <laughs> and I think we all do. I think we're all tired of kind of just sitting here talking about CBA negotiations for weeks on end. Um, it's super interesting listening to Paul, but like, I want to watch baseball. I'm yeah, kind of yeah. watching I'm, uh, the reruns. Well, especially like it's all of our conversations are like, Hey, in this 2% of what has changed from the last time we discussed it, <laughs> here's how it now imp- uh, impacts it, it's, you're not even watching anything that's changed, I think, which makes it even more frustrating. So yeah. the, the little that we are getting is more tedious than anything else. Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah, I badly right. miss baseball too. Um, I just keep trying to have the outlook of theoretically, this is a once in a generation type event. So it, uh, that has happened before. So just like acknowledge it for what it is and be like, oh, I'm living through history. Ain't that neat? And then that kind of helps me deal with the loss of something that I am passionate about. Yeah. Uh, I don't... Other other than that, I just try to forget what day or the year it is and yeah <laughs> i know it's functionally different because the nba is in a different financial spot they're having played most of their season and paid most of their salaries already but it's an interesting contrast just to look at like their disney world proposal of uh, we, we can maybe get this done we have a really super fun controlled environment we can go play in and it'll lend some levity to it and um like i, I feel like they're very good at being creative and working together um, much more than um, like frankly all the other sports um, and you know it's it's easier teams are smaller the arena is different you can put it in a lot of places it's not baseball but it would be nice if baseball had something on this level of creativity and and understanding between the, the two sides involved that this is maybe a little bit bigger than both of them and it has wide-ranging implications into the future um, you know and I don't want to bag on the players too much I do think this is an owner problem um, and I think just look at the lack of leadership from the owners. They're just intransigent. There's no, uh, you know, their their proposals back are just regurgitations of what's already happened. There is no like, all right, maybe we could do this fun tournament. Maybe there's a prize pool at the end of it. Like, uh, you know, something like that. Maybe we'll ha- have like $50 million for the players who win. Or uh, uh, There's lots of different ways right. you could do this. Um, with you know some to get bigger ratings to change things up a little bit and no it's just the same old thing like no we'll just do baseball and we'll pay you this amount that we've determined will make us profits and blah well i think the nba is just like the league to look at in general look at how they market their stars look at how they like invest in their uh 
kind of relationship. Like they're infused into culture through the clothing, through the merchandise, through like the branding. And that's something even the NFL has to an extent in the MLB. I feel like you show off your fandom, but it's not a cultural thing per se. It's more of like, Hey, I just really like the brewers. Cool. Um, Or like if you're then baseball hats are just a thing, but it's not really a, it can a baseball hat can have anything on it. Well, baseball uh, is very local. Like it is right. very, it, you're very dependent on like who your local team is and supporting that. And because that's what you see the vast majority of, there are very few people who uh, compared to the other sports consider themselves like, I'm just a football fan and I watch games of all the teams all the time. And yes, I may have a primary team that I root for, but I I'm into the rest of it. That's just harder to do in baseball. It, it almost is kind of the province just of journalists who've given up their individual team fandom and they just watch whatever's interesting. There aren't many fans who actually behave that way, though. Which I think a little I think that's a big reason why I've been a proponent of a shortened season is I feel like the thing baseball's missing a lot of is a little scarcity. There's a reason the 16 weeks of, I'm not saying they should go down to 16 weeks, but there's the reason 16 weeks of football of games of football feel significant and it's because those are the only 16 you get um beside for the playoffs so it, it's more treasured baseball her basketball has 81 so or 82 duh. um so it's easier to also then get on more tv like i've been a proponent of the shorter season like a 120 game season not only because it will keep the players healthier but it will also just add that level of scarcity that makes it feel less taxing because even as a hardcore fan when i watch all uh, of 21 game streak i'm exhausted at the end of it yeah i would not recommend anybody watch all 162 games i've been on that train for a while you're you're just happier as a fan when you don't watch every single night but i agree (laughs) yeah uh so on the topic of shortened schedules we got another question about that uh pj wessels is asking uh on the topic of shortened schedules would you rather I guess, play 72 games against just divisional teams, 84 games against the whole league, or something else? I guess, Brad, what, what's your, I guess, feeling on how, how would you break down the schedule? I really hate watching the other teams in my division play baseball. So <laughs> <laughs> um, 72 games against the divisional, I think on paper would be my ideal. But when I think about watching 18 games against the Cardinals in a condensed time period, I would be very just frustrated emotionally at that. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I think I would prefer the 84 games against the whole league. Also, there's a lot of players I like seeing. I like seeing Acuna. Um, I like seeing Soto. So missing out on that, and I feel like the NL Central is missing those exciting players, unless they're Christian Yelich. It it just isn't as entertaining for me. So I would rather do the the whole National League in 84 games than do than just why I don't want to see the Cardinals and Cubs that much, and the Pirates are so bad. I don't want to watch them. And but nothing good happens against the Pirates either. That's the thing. Well, that's because of torture. But that's because like the Brewers and the Pirates have a wave thing going, right? The Brewers won like 42 consecutive games against them. I know that's not the right number, but it's hyperbole is fun for everyone. Um, and now like they can't play well against them because it's their turn to suck. So eventually that wave is going to tip back the other way. That just seems to be how it goes. I don't want to watch like 
18 games of the old man reds <laughs> they're they're just so old yep so i would much rather do 84 games against the whole league and see some of the best players the most fun players to watch in the league than see the same team over and over and over and over yeah. again well, I mean, we're still not whatever if whatever they do, we're still going to get those divisions where teams aren't really traveling coast to coast. Right. That's part of the deal right. here. I think that's the assumption. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, it's going to be weird no matter what, if we're playing in that, you know, that central division, nine other teams. What would that be? Nine. Like to get to 76, is there even an even divisibility there? There isn't. Uh, so it's 72 divided by nine is eight. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I mean, oh, it, yeah. it would be like seventy-two, and you'd have eight games against each. Maybe a four and four home road split. And yeah, if you say so. I have a journalism degree. I don't do math. Sorry. <laughs> I pulled up my phone calculator very quickly, <laughs> and I'm actually good at math. But I don't know. I just like had my phone in my hand, swiped up, and there you go. My vote is yeah. to see the biggest variety possible uh, of teams. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I'm not married to playing the division a whole bunch of times, and I don't really care if it's fair or not. So I would also rather see more teams than just the usual um, come through. And it's yeah. just, as I was kind of saying, like the National League Central kind of has like the boringest group of exciting players. And like there's the Cubs, I think, have a group of talented players, but they've been around. That core has been around for so long, they're no longer as interesting as they once were. You don't like sure. seeing Javi put tags on people? Come on. Yeah, magic it's tags. Magic. Ooh, magic slides. Ooh. Um, I was running at the wrong time, and I had to slide it in between the guy's legs and trip him, and he didn't see it coming. Oh, MVP <laughs> points. Anyway, I don't think I could get drunk enough to handle seeing Javi Baez that many times. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it, I'm I'm for variety too. So I, I think I'm with the rest of you guys. More Patreon questions. So we've had a, a few that we've been trying to get to over the past couple of weeks. So we're going to get to them now. And these are actually more kind of baseball theory questions instead of talking about negotiations and shortened seasons. So I think it'll be a welcome change. So Jade Google has another question. He's, a, he's asking us which non-regular starter would get the biggest boost from expanded rosters and DH. So we haven't talked about this in a while, but I think the assumption here is that even with a shortened schedule, we'd have expanded rosters and universal DHs. So who among the guys who would not be in the regular starting lineup would probably get the biggest boost from that? Ryan? I mean, it would be guys on the, what is it, to the left of the defensive spectrum. So the the guys who are at the the worst positions, the ones who could get into more games that way. So you're Justin Smokes, uh, maybe even your Logan Morrisons, because there's more room on the roster for a guy like that to, to sneak in there and then in a short time period to get hot and to, to stick around. I think it's guys like that. The guys who have positional versatility and can play up the middle and play well defensively, those players are going to be out there kind of regardless, and they're going to get their chances. That doesn't affect them so much as this opens up space for guys who maybe just can slug over a short period of time. And it's hard to know exactly who that might be. I mean, for all we know, it could be Mark Matthias. It could be, <laughs> I mean, maybe Matthias is more of a, he's less of a, a corner player, but like uh, Ryan Healy. I mean, who the hell knows? Like it, it, it's somebody like that could just, you know, have a huge 
three weeks and basically have a monster season because of it. So, yeah, Ryan's right. It's all the loser players that are bad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's officially a non-regular, but I think the person who gets the biggest boost is Orlando Arcia. Like, really, he was going to. He was, or I mean, they acquired a player to take him out of the lineup on a regular basis. He happened to be playing well in spring training, and that was made a questionable move whether he was going to lose his spot. But heading into the season, it minus that spring training things, it was going to be Luis Urias, Keston Hira, because they were looking for offensive improvement. But now having the expanded roster and more options to play your bats, wouldn't it make more sense to get a guy who can have plus plus advantage offensive or defensively in more than worry about that below, below, below league average bat? Um, so in that theory, but, then you're talking about Keston Hira as a DH a lot of days. I think they would rotate Urias and or Well, yes, Keston Hira would be the DH because you want more offensive bang out of that spot. Yes, I think he he would be. Uh, it would be an opportunity for them to hide his defensive shortcomings. See, I think we would see more brawn there just because he's older. I think so he's too, more... but I, I think so too, but I think that they're still going to rotate pretty regularly versus have like one full timer. Fair. And Braun could still play outfield and hell go play at first base some too. If nobody else is playing well, I think there would be and, um, a lot of mine is coming with the idea that I believe Braun would play more first base than I think we'd expect. Sure. I was actually going to ask if, if Braun would be considered a non-regular starter, but I, I guess there's just enough rotation that he'd be in a lineup in some fashion just about every day. So right. that kind of scratches that. Uh, another Patreon question, uh, this one from Adam Post. Besides the Brewers, are there any other teams that any of you pull for or follow more closely than the rest of the league? Brad? Not really. I would say I get excited about certain teams in waves like i really like the white Sox as they're built right now i think that's a really fun team to watch uh with Giolotto. now you have yasmani grandal over there you have a couple of young stud outfielders and eloy jimenez and um who's the new guy the that just signed contract? yes so there's a lot of fun you have yon mancada you have a lot of fun players on that team that are just really interesting to watch uh, the Braves would fall under that umbrella as well. You have a young staff, you have young offensive weapons that are just interesting to view. So I would, I jump around in that regard. I'm, I'm more fair weather fan than anything else when it comes to that situation, because like I said, the Cubs were young and fun to watch. And then the players kind of got old and became less enjoyable. <laughs> I wouldn't even say I enjoyed watching them because of the deep down hatred I'm forced to have in my situation, but they were, for a while, they were more fun to watch. And then all of a sudden, they start talking about how Eric Thames is on steroids every day. And then you just want to hit him with a bus and things change. Makes you scratch your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it definitely it's a it's a sliding kind of fandom that happens. Like the Blue Jays, I think, are really fun to watch right now just because they have so much raw talent. So that would be a few of the teams that I will watch more closely in the current generation of baseball. And that'll change in two to three years. Yeah, I think I actually do pay attention to the Cubs and White Sox just because I lived in Chicago so long. I don't pull for them and actively root against them, but I, I do think that's pretty fun. I used to always have the Dodgers on in the evening when Vince Scully was still calling games, um, but he's gone and I don't anymore. And I used to listen to, um, I used to always seek out Reds broadcasts because Tom Brenneman, uh, well, whichever Brenneman it was, I, who cares? Um, we're, we're so bad at their job that they were kind of fun to watch, but I think tom retired so 
Um, that's gone too. Oh, Marty, to Marty retired. Tom Marty is retired. still retired. inflicting Tom's his. Still there. Yeah. Tom's still there. Okay, cool. Uh, but I could actually use um, a new. I could use a new yeah. bad announcer. Um, a lot of them have been hanging them up lately. So it's kind of well, and bad. I've been able to watch the White Sox more because Hawk's gone. Yeah. Well, oh, Jason Benetti is awesome. I love Benetti. <laughs> uh, Hawk was so bad. I didn't know who he was until someone in college. I like knew who he was, but I didn't really know who he was. And he was like, yeah, here's the best call. It goes, put him on the board. Yes. And I was like, immediately. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why <laughs> did you just tell me that and tell me that it was good? That is hands down the worst call. <laughs> Ryan, who are your secondary teams, I guess? I mean, I've gone through like different teams over the years i became very into the orioles in the mid 90s um when bj surhoff went over there and like they had cal nice. ripkin and brady anderson i still love brady anderson jersey i think i've told that story robbie before alomar yeah yeah robbie was there like they were really they were a really good team uh i i definitely bandwagoned the uh red Sox through the 2003 2004 thing just because you know fuck the yankees like no way and <laughs> Like just wanting them to like get that done and and do that, and then they started winning all the time, and it became less. It became definitely well, and Boston started winning everything all the time to begin. Yeah. yeah, so that was less. But I think the one team throughout my entire life, like going back to the Bash Brothers in the late '80s, the A's have always been somebody that I you know kind of rooted for. It, it then very much became the Billy Bean and Moneyball thing in the early 2000s. So rooting for them to have success because it always felt like if they can do it, if they can have success that way, then there's no reason the Brewers can't because, you know, market wise, like the Brewers were spending, you know, as much, if not more than Oakland. So like we the Brewers could then have that success. So, yeah, those would kind of be the big ones. The A is just kind of always, even though I always the owners suck, but being is interesting. I always wanted to watch the A's, but there's something about games that are played in the Coliseum that makes them boring, and I do not know <laughs> what it is. It, I don't know if it's just the extra darkness from the, the bowl of the Coliseum. It, or what I think it is it that. Is. It's like, you yeah. know, you think of baseball, it's like sun and grass and nice summer day. Not like a depressing parking ramp, which is sort of the vibe that the Coliseum <laughs> gives off. It is the Oakland Mausoleum. Like, it really is. I've, I've seen games there, and it is, it is not great. Yeah, I've uh, been to I think four A's games in all different parks or parts of that park, and all of them equally suck. The only nice <laughs> thing is there's one area, there's one level that actually has toilets, not troughs. Well, that's a downgrade. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I mean when you sit on that level, then it's nice. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, because no troughs are awful. There's too much visibility. I need dividers. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> there's a Midwest comfort I want, <laughs> and it, it involves dividers. This is a, this is an incorrect opinion. Troughs are super efficient in a high capacity environment. They're uh, they avoid lineups, and they're great. No, because there's always the drunk guy who is leaning over. I need barriers. I need division. I'm not a crowds person, and I'm especially not a crowd person when I got my dingle in my handle. Oh, you can be one of those guys who waits for a stall to open up then while the rest of us pee efficiently. No, because then then what if people are judging the amount of flow into the water, Paul? There's a whole different judgment factor that comes in. <laughs> Wow. I don't that one is a joke. That one is not actually a serious feeling. The trough and the crowding is the uh water flow is not. You made it incredibly oh, awkward, Brad. You made it incredibly awkward. I, I thought that's why I was I brought this. here. I love this. This is even better than Pop Tarts or Ravioli. That's great. <laughs> 
Great. Next week it's going to oh, be like, man. is a sink a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Only a pre-renovation Lambeau Field. <laughs> oh, the, one, one of the greatest mysteries of my life. I, I used to go to Lambeau a lot before they made it all nice, when you can only walk in one direction and they didn't have enough bathrooms. And I, this is a mystery. I want somebody to tell me the answer if they know it. And I'm not kidding. Um, every time I would walk into a bathroom at Lambeau before they renovated it, someone would have stuffed a sink full of paper towels so it wouldn't drain and people would have been peeing in it. And I want to know why the stuffing it up. Like, why why would you do that and make that the sink toilet? This is all very gross, but like, what's wrong with just the drain? Like, what, 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 what it, it was every game. It was every there, game. There is, um, so, there is some joy that assholes at stadiums get from making the lives of the people who have to clean up afterwards miserable. And I think that's what it's around is there's a sick joy that some people, that someone gets, especially I assume once alcohol is introduced and the idea of like <laughs> some guy not getting paid enough to clean this toilet is going to have to dig my yeah, piss paper out. <laughs> that's probably it. It's probably just human badness, but goodness. What a, <laughs> So much effort uh, and grossness for yeah. torturing some poor guy. Well, there's no good way to go back. <laughs> but my, I guess, to answer the original question, I guess my other teams, growing up on the west west side of Wisconsin, the Twins were always kind of a big thing too, especially growing up in the 90s. So I uh, kind of have an affinity for the Twins. Target Field is amazing. It's it the is. opposite of the Coliseum. Target Field great. Everybody should go see a game there. There is not a bad seat in that play. I literally sat in the last row of that stadium and could see everything on the field perfectly. It was it was great. When I worked uh, nights, I would use I used to come home too and watch, uh, like you guys said, watch the Dodgers late night games. I uh, can't really do that anymore, but that was always fun. If I could, I'd probably be watching the Padres instead because lots of exciting young talent there, uh, and Blue Jays also on my list for for the same reason i i love watching just like the teams that sort of came up like the brewers where they just have the waves of talent that just hit all at the same time it's kind of cool to see and it's fun to root those teams on uh another patreon question i said we had a lot we definitely do uh jeremy knockman has kind of a a longer question, so I'm just going to try to boil it down here. Uh, but basically, The Athletic had an article recently that speculated how Jeff Cirillo would fare in modern baseball. Uh, it's something that he's thought about, too. Uh, basically, just the style Cirillo hit with. Uh, do you think he would fare well in the modern game? Uh, do you think the umpires kind of being encouraged to call balls and strikes by the books in the early 2000s paved the way for the launch angle thing? Uh, so basically, Cirilla didn't really hit with much launch angle. Do you think he'd still be successful today, uh, Brad? I think he brought. I had listened to an interview with Jeff Cirillo where he brought up that he thought he would be a better player, but that was in like 2011, with the resurgence of home runs that made him kind of irrelevant in the early 2000s and the importance of home runs in the game. I I think he's in the same boat that he was. I think there was an error recently that would make him more valuable. I think the defensive versatility uh, is more appreciated now than it used to be. But in terms of offensive production, it still is a game that wants home runs and more so than it's been in recent years. So uh, I'm actually, I, I'm going to disagree. I, I think we're, we're treating Cirillo a little bit um, with a little bit less power than he actually had. 
And I think over the last two years with a juiced ball that he would have been a monster. Um, it just he had a, a, a streak in Milwaukee from like 95 to 2000 where he was consistently putting up a 400 OBP with decent power numbers. Um, and if he continues to own the zone that much and he has good bat control and hits out another 10 to 15 home runs every year, so he's hitting 25 to 30 instead of 10 to 15, um, playing a, a good defensive position, I think he's super valuable. Um, I suspect he adjusts well to the modern game and hits uh, for more power than people probably think. I think my stance on it, and sorry to jump ahead of Ryan's, is I think he was valued pretty well in his era along the lines of like the fiscal value that he would get. I don't think he's making a ton of money like for who he is, right? Like he's he's still the guy who gets signed to like a he's like Moose. I think that's not a bad comp. Um, so Although he did have some great war seasons with the Brewers, he but aside, then it goes down. And by the way, he played mostly in County and he was hitting, uh, you know, 10 to 15 in County every year. I suspect with the fences in Miller park and a juice ball, he's doing pretty well. It's just Mike Moustakas wasn't someone that people were tripping over. It's someone they wanted on their team, but Cirillo, not... I said, it's a good comp. Yeah. Um, Cirillo is better than Moustakas. Yes, because he's better defensively. Well, uh, most he importantly, on, he gets on base drastically more frequently. Sure. Right. Yeah, like and that was a thing that wasn't appreciated when he was playing as much right. as it would have been five, ten years later. He would have been a guy that teams really like. Didn't he? Didn't he kind of end by going like bouncing around a few uh, teams that were pretty sabermetrically inclined? Yeah, he played Rockies, his, Mariners, Padres, Brewers. Yeah, he played his prime with Milwaukee. He played for the Rockies when he was thirty, and he wasn't really ever good offensively again after after that. But as a like just as a Brewer, his career slash line all at County, not never at Miller, is, is 383. And he has several seasons with us, a plus 400 on base percentage in there, too. Um, and he's averaging like 150 games a year doing that. Um, so I think he was like, I kind of think with just the, the power you would gain from the stadium and the ball that he's going to be a pretty darn good player um, in modern times. Yeah, it's a production shape you don't really see nowadays, but it's yeah. definitely has value. If you're getting on base that much and play defense, like those two things alone, like give you plenty of value. God, yeah. I wish we had hit better hit statistics back then. Like, I wish I could go back and really see because, like, I think really we started uh, tracking velocity off of the bat in the early 2000s and when you go back on fan graphs yeah i'm on fan graphs now looking them up and it stops at the mariners right yep. when his career was yeah at its and moving worst. to safe safeco kind of really hurt him too from what i remember yeah but um but yeah it's it's a very good point he's definitely underappreciated and i definitely should have taken him when we had our brewers all-time draft and i did not you know, it's weird with the worst he, team. He did a stint. <laughs> he did a stint as an old man with the Brewers that I totally forgot about in 2005 and 2006, and he kind of came back to his previous levels. He, he slashed about the same as he did before. Yeah, it was I pure pinch he's hitter. Just one of those guys who's like, when he's in his city, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Jeffress of, of yep. yep. Yeah. Well, and he, because uh, he came into, didn't he? The Brewers acquired him to replace Koski um, and like fill in the middle infield gap that Bill Hall left by taking over third base full time, right? No, that's the timeline's a little off there. But I mean, he was brought in, I think, kind of to replace 
like to be a pinch hitter like that. He was primarily a pinch hitter. He didn't okay. play in the field a ton. It was mostly. And then that role would then move on to Craig Council after Cirillo left. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I totally forgot about the um, or late career resurgence, too. So definitely fun to think about, though, and try to put these players in different perspectives. Well, remember, uh, do you remember? I think it was against the Diamondbacks. He was called upon to uh, pitch. And yeah. in a blowout, and he was throwing knucklers up there. Yeah, oh. they pointed out his uh, license plate in high school was Cirillo K's U or something like that. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> That's great. So cool must have been taken. <laughs> no, it, it's cool. I, I appreciated seeing him uh, kind of do those spring training games a few months ago too, while Rock was recovering. So it's kind of cool to see him still around too. That's all for our Patreon questions. We do have a Twitter question, though. Pastor Goober sent us uh, a question to the MKE Tailgate Twitter account asking, why does baseball hate me so much when I've only been given it loving attention all these years? And I think that's a good note to, to end on <laughs> given everything that's going on. Uh, I think I tweeted something similar, too. It's like, why is the thing I like run by idiots? I think that's kind of the, the, the theme of the last few weeks here, is it not? <laughs> Sometimes well, I, too much love pushes the things you want away. <laughs> I mean, it's a business. For the players, it's a job. They go in and they, they collect their paycheck. And yes, those paychecks can be really big, but it's still a job. Like They're going in, and I'm sure most of them, if not all of them, love playing it, and it's fun, and it's something they enjoy, and all that but it, it is still a job so there's still you know it's their livelihood and this is their chance to make money in a significant way in their lives for most of them and so they take advantage of that and for the owners it's an investment it is a way to accrue more vast sums of wealth than they already had before that point that's and all true that's i mean so it, to them it is a business it is a means of feathering their nests yep the other answer to this question is if uh, if you are like Nintendo a lot and you want to get a new Nintendo system, but they're all out of stock, you can turn around and buy a PlayStation. Whereas in baseball, you just have baseball. There's the KBO. Uh, there is KBO, KBO. At, four, at, at, at midnight. That's true. And the Buddhist Liga. Don't forget the Bundesliga. In in the meantime, uh, we put out the weekly call for questions every week on our Twitter account. You can send those questions to the Milwaukee's tailgate account on Twitter. Again, that's at MKE tailgate. You can also follow all of us on Twitter. Ryan is at RD top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at brew crew blue. And I'm at James L that's James with a Y. Uh, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, anywhere else you listen to the podcast. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And a reminder, you can help support our podcast by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash tailgate. You'll get priority when we do send out those call for questions, and you get a shout-out when you sign up. And Ryan, it looks like we do have somebody to give a shout-out to this week. Yeah, Joshua Moser, welcome on board. Thank you for, for supporting us, and we definitely really appreciate it. Thanks, Joshua. Much absolutely. appreciated. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, every time we get a new patron, we'll shout them out, and Joshua, hopefully we get a question from you next week. Until next time, stay well, everybody, and thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. Shit. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> These four PMs, man. You pronounce my name however you want. Brad. <laughs> Brad. Okay. Uh, so, right. I'll just take that chunk back. Yep. I'll just start with the Patreon. All right. Three, two, one.